everyone. Welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Hector Rodriguez. Thank you for joining me on another journey across the podcast airwaves. Um, <laughs> funny fact, I'm sorry. Funny fact, Hector is the only one that's co-hosted one of my episodes. So maybe I bring him back. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'm just having some fun today here in the uh, studio. You know, I got to keep it creative. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, thank you for uh, joining me. I appreciate it. I've got a really great one today. Definitely no slouch. World traveler, ultra runner, ultra adventurist. Uh, his last adventure landed him as the second fastest person to ever complete the Appalachian Trail. It's a really great story. Uh, he shares how he got into trail running and into FKTs. Uh, so please enjoy. Welcome to the Trail Life, Christian Morgan. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. So you're in Spain. Yeah, so correct. It has to be, let's see, it's 12 o'clock here, but you guys are what, nine hours? Is it what, nine o'clock there, maybe? Yeah, actually, lucky enough, about 30 minutes ago, I checked because we were scheduled to speak at nine because there's a nine hour time difference, but the clocks went, um, I think we lost an hour or gained an hour just two days ago. Daylight oh. saving. <laughs> so yeah, so so actually we're eight o'clock. I'm, I'm so... Uh, so luckily I wasn't um, waiting till nine to speak to you, which would have been your one o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Where's Chris, Christian? <laughs> hey, this asshole just kind of stood me up. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what, uh, what part of Spain are you in? So I'm on the East coast in a place called Denia, okay. which is uh, the province of Costa Blanca. Yeah. Okay. Alicante, like uh, oh no, Valencia. Sorry, Valencia province. Yeah. Got it. Okay, yeah. I we uh, see my wife and I toured Spain back in 2018, I think, and mostly did Barcelona, Madrid, down to Sevilla, and part of the southern part of the country, just because we had some friends that were in the navy down there. So, okay. Yeah. So it was like such a amazing country. We we yeah. loved it there. So yeah. now do you, do you live there at this point or do you just, they're visiting what? Yeah. So actually what happened was I met someone this year in Thailand, uh, who is now my girlfriend and she lives in Spain. She lives here. We were hanging out, um, in Chiang Mai in Thailand and also Koh Phangan when I was there earlier this year, doing my training for the Appalachian trail. And, uh, so I met her in Chiang Mai. We hung out for a couple of months. She came to the Appalachian Trail, saw me finish. And then I said, right, okay, after I finish the trail, I'm going to cycle across France and Spain and come and see you in Denia. And uh, yeah, I did that thousand miles on the bike. Now I'm here. I've been here about six weeks and I'm just doing lots of swimming in the ocean and just, just enjoying the seafood and... Yeah, so am I living here? I guess I am until my visa runs out. <laughs> <laughs> Take yeah. full advantage, man. That's awesome. So, well, that's cool. So, stay in Spain until visa runs out, which is always kind of a cool thing. I, I always love that about traveling, right? It's like, hey, if you've got you got ninety days to to live someplace take full advantage of it. Right. So, which the try and I bring the travel thing up because I, you know, after looking at your website and everything else, I've, I've realized that you've pretty much lived and visited all over the world, right? Yeah. You're, you're born in uh, England, but you grew up in Australia, but you've lived, you lived in Ethiopia and Thailand and everywhere else. I mean, that's such a, such an amazing thing. You don't really hear much of that nowadays. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, someone asked me a question earlier, you know, do I identify with my Irish heritage? You know, and I said, actually, you know, I don't really even identify with my English heritage. You know, I, I really feel, I don't know, I just feel like a child of the world. I, I, I just, didn't, I love traveling. I love meeting new people. Love, I'm a big fan of food and culture. So, yeah. Um, you know, I learned Italian when I was living in Italy and um, I'm now learning Spanish. And yeah, I think it's just, 
it just, you know, it takes you out of that. Uh, I could never be one of those, no disrespect to anyone who's in one of those complete routine way of living their life in a complete routine. But I just really enjoy the fact that my life is, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next month, but you know, it, it really is quite spontaneous to say. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, it, it's kind of a cool way to, to take on life, I guess, in a sense. I mean, if you've got the opportunity to do so, I mean, it's, it's always kind of that fun thing. I wish I had some of that, you know, freedom as far as like, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I could, I could be over in this country one day. I could be over in this country the other day. And, and so that's cool. I'm glad that, that somebody's living the dream from that perspective. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, we're talking about, uh, main, mainly we're going to be talking about your Appalachian trail, uh, finish, uh, because uh, amazing. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second, but I kind of want to get a little bit of backstory you know, from you, obviously we talked about how you grew up in different parts of the world, but I kind of curious and how that translates into where you were as an athlete and how that transitions into your running today. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in, you grew up in, in England and you moved and did you, did you grow up mostly in Australia for the, the like extended period of your childhood? Yeah, so I was in Australia from about the age of four till eleven years old. Okay. Yeah. So so had a full on Australian accent when I was a kid, then came back and kind of went to we call it secondary school in England. Uh and I went to secondary school or high school, you might call it in the US, uh in England. So how does that um, translate into some, you know, some of your athletics? Were you a runner in in high school or in secondary school? Is that how you? Or did I, you I was I, not. I know. I know. America's got a lot of collegiate run, runners. You know, yeah. like Hayden Hawks, um, Sage Kennedy. Um, I'm not sure if Jim is, but a lot of the the, the guys who are breaking course records now in ultras. <laughs> Actually, uh, I ran my first marathon in um, the year 2000. So I was 23 years old. I okay. used to smoke, used to smoke cigarettes, and um, and 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 I started doing some boxing, you know. Um, and and I was enjoying the boxing, and then I, I saw an advertisement for a marathon. And uh, my local marathon where I was living at the time, Wolverhampton, that's where I was born, the town I was born. Mm-hmm. And I just went and entered it and it changed that that marathon, finishing that marathon that day really did change my life. And I never looked back. I just been running ever since. So 22 um, years now, half my life, basically. I'm 45. Okay. So getting into, I mean, cause you, like you said, you're kind of doing some boxing, which I believe probably got you into a little bit more of the running because of the conditioning side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of, because everybody's training is a little bit different when it comes to their first running race, whether it's a marathon or ultra or whatever did. And I, I realized talking to a number of people that some people just don't even have the right training avenue and they just jump right into it without really knowing like, Oh, I'm just going to sign up for a marathon and, and do it like 30 days later. Like, did you understand kind of what the training process was once you decided you were going to start getting into the marathon training? No, I just, I entered the marathon, uh, did no training and just learned the hard way. So I finished in, I think that that marathon finished around four hours, 40 something. And then, uh, when I got into training, 15 years later, I went back and won that same marathon, 248. <laughs> so that's the difference. You know, I entered as a complete novice and then put the time in, put the hard work in, the training, understood, you know, give yourself four months and and race and then recover and repeat and so on. So, yeah, I started uh, off as one of those guys who just saw the marathon. Hey, let's enter this and see what happens. And I learned the hard way. Uh, but it was great. I I really enjoyed the 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 learning curve was sharp, you yeah. know. I mean, I just I just jumped in the deep end and and finished. 
luckily, I guess. With <laughs> I mean, that's not luckily. I mean, I, I fought every mile. You know, when I when it started to get tough, and you know, my legs were killing me. I hit the wall. I, I remember I couldn't walk for three days, but it felt so good. You know, it felt so good to to have accomplished that. So yeah, I was one of those guys who didn't train. <laughs> so where so you're you're doing uh you're doing marathons and road racing. So where does the trail running aspect enter your life and and what was that first experience for you? Do you mm. remember your do you remember your first trail you you like your first trail race? What what was that? Do you remember? So I can't remember my first trail race, but I do remember my first ultra marathon. I was running so up to the for the first 15 years I'd run 50 marathons um 50 marathons and ultras sorry and then from the year 2015 and sorry 15 and 16 I wanted to join the 100 marathon club mm-hmm. uh, so I ran a further 50 marathons and ultras over those two years but I think around uh in those first 50 marathons I started just entering there there was some trail marathon i i i don't remember actually no i it's yeah i feel bad actually (laughs) you know i just i do remember the one i do remember the first time i ran a road marathon that i thought to myself in comparison to trail running actually i don't think i'm enjoying myself as much as trail running yeah because you know, I mean, you, you don't even need to look at the ground, you know, you can just stare off into the distance. So yeah, I do remember when I started to not enjoy road running so much. Uh, but yeah, no, can't remember that first trail. <laughs> when was, what was your first ultra race? So it was a 35 miler Ian Sharman was running it, you know, Ian Sharman. Have you yes. heard of him? Yeah. Yep. Who hasn't yeah. heard of him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's a great runner and a great, and a great coach. So he was running it. Uh, I was running it. It was my first ultra. And it was, I think it was called the Rugby Ultra around some reservoir. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. I just remember the, there was two distances. I, I remember the marathon and the ultra. And I just remember all the ultra guys seemed to be like a little bit cooler than the marathon guys. And, uh, and, and it was just, it was pretty cool that I suddenly, I don't know. I, I, I decided to, you know, do the ultra and so yeah, that was my first ultra back in 2009. Yeah. And then, so as a comparison, first, first ultra versus first marathon, like obviously you've already stated this, like you already noticed that you were enjoying yourself a little bit more on the, on the trail. Like, did you notice anything from having to like your, your training leading up to it or your perspective of, Oh, this is, you know, I've done 26 miles. Here's now my first ultra doing longer than that. Uh, like nutrition and having to like, what was your prep work going into that? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. I mean, so it's 13 years ago. I, 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 and by then I was, I think I'd run some, I think if I recall, I'd run some sub, sub three hour marathons. You know, my goal was when I was on the roads, I mean, it's not fast, you know, uh, but for an amateur runner, it's okay. So I was trying to break three hours and I'd done that. So I remember setting off for this ultra, you know, uh, 35 miles, which is significantly further than 26, just going out the same pace for a sub three hour marathon. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, hit a tough spot around mile 28. And I think I had to walk a couple hundred meters and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've never walked in a marathon. I've been running them nine years and I feel like such a failure. And then, that, 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 you know, I got over it. I started jogging again and just realized that I wasn't a failure. You know, I just, I just took a walking break and, uh, and I remember Ian Sharman, uh, talking really positively about anything Ian was saying was just positive. So I just really admired that mindset of positivity beats negativity and ultra running. So uh, I think I realized the importance of positivity and also being kind to yourself, not thinking you failed just because you happen to walk for like 400 meters. Uh, so yeah, I learned a lot on the first ultra. It was, uh, and then about nutrition, just, I, I was amazed at how many calories you burn in compared to <laughs> my, how much food you can eat. So yeah, yeah that was, that was, that they were, those were the takeaways, you know, <laughs> 
So I want to, I'm going to, from 2009, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because you've done uh, over a hundred ultras at this point in time. Uh, yeah. You've, you've done, uh, you've podium over in Thailand for four years in a row at the North Face 100K. What I, was kind of interesting to me that I, when I was looking at your bio is where does the Ethiopia um, stop come in? Cause it was, it was pretty, it was really cool on your website. Oh, it's like lived in Ethiopia and, and learned the secrets of, of uh, the runners over there. So where does, where does the, your journey into Ethiopia take you? Like what, what year is that? And then what was the process of being over there? Were you over there for something else? And, or was that, that was, you? Hey, I'm going over to Ethiopia. I want to learn, you know, what, what's going on with these runners and, 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 you know, train from with them. I was running, um, I had an Italian girlfriend called Lucia. And so we used to do a bit of traveling around Italy. And, and one of the places that I visited was Sicily, um, the islands, you know, just below Italy. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, the capital's called Palermo. And uh, they have like a marathon there, the Palermo Marathon. So I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I'll, I can do some sightseeing, eat some amazing Italian food and enter the Palermo Marathon. And I'd run it a couple of times. And what I noticed was, um, is that the elite runners were accessible and the elite runners were Africans, you know? So I, I think the, the year prior to making friends with my contacts in Ethiopia, I'd approached the elites and I'd spoke to them and they were really friendly. And I just thought, how cool is it that you can be, um, friendly with the people who are at the top of the, the, the list in terms of, uh, ability, you know, un- unlike other sports where maybe, you know, if you want to go and watch some footballers, you know, you don't, you just don't have it. They're superstars. You don't have access to them. Uh, yeah. You got to get through, you got to get through their management team and their agent and, and their entourage yeah. and everything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these guys were really accessible. So then um, I went away and a year later I came back with the ideas. I want to make friends with some Kenyans because at the time the year before I'd spoke to Kenyans and, and uh, so I just assumed I would make friends with Kenyans and I'm going to ask if they want, you know, I'm going to make a contact and I'm going to go and live in Kenya for six months. And I'm going to write a book called running with the Kenyans. So I go back to the Palermo marathon the following year, uh, make friends with this guy who happens to be Ethiopian. He's not Kenyan. His name was Sege Bukele. Uh, he won the marathon I made friends with him before. It was just a coincidence. He run, won the marathon. Afterwards, um, he was getting a massage, and I went round and you know passed the the. Um, there was no entourage and no security. I went straight <laughs> over, congratulated him, swapped email addresses with Sege, and uh, and 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 did a trial trip over in Ethiopia for a couple of weeks, seeing how it'd work out. Stayed with his. Uh, his friend who was a bronze medal winner from the Sydney Olympics who came third in the 10 K um, uh, Asafa Mazongu. And um, then later on went back to Ethiopia to live there for six months with Sege uh, and, uh, and, and wrote every single day. And I still have all my notes. I haven't got around to writing the book yet. Um, will it be a, a, a separate Ethiopian book or will I just incorporate it into my, because I'm going to write a book about the Appalachian Trail. Uh, will it just be a chapter in there? I'm not sure yet. But yeah, so that's why I was in Ethiopia. I was actually living with Ethiopians, run, running the slower runs with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you can't keep up. I couldn't keep, I'm not a 205 marathon runner. And uh, yeah, and that's how Ethiopia came about. So wow. I just saw an opportunity and, and, and had a dream and just, seized it, seized it and made it happen. What, I mean, just talk about the learning experiences just from that six months alone. I bet just learning how those guys, you know, manage their, their time, you know, their training, their, their bodies, their nutrition, everything. I mean, it's, I mean, you're right that at the top of the food chain is definitely the Kenyans and the Ethiopians as far as the running, running goes, you know, internationally. So you're in Ethiopia. What, what year was that? You said? Uh, was it 2014, 2014. So we're, um, moving along in your, in your timeline here. And I see that you also completed the Southwest coast path. 
yeah. which you've got a re- world record on that or the FKT for that, or is that considered an FKT or is just a world record for the, the time frame you, you did? Yeah, it's listed on fastest known times. Okay. Fastest known times. Yeah. But someone actually broke that record. I believe it was this year. Oh, really? Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that really quick. Cause it's 630 miles and you did that over a 10 day period. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. So so yeah, I was uh I, I think Michael McKnight and Ben Light were aiming to cover that distance for the Arizona Trail. Yeah, yep. the record, I believe. Um, so I was, I was like on a similar daily mileage to um, string bean, uh, 61 miles a day or a hundred kilometers a day for 10 days. Uh, I don't know how much elevation you get in the Arizona shell, but we're getting about, I'd say there's probably 8,000 feet of elevation gain and loss on these trails on the Southwest coast path. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty rugged. Um yeah, the guy who held the record is his name's Damian Hall. Uh, I think he was fifth at UTMB a couple of years back, so he's a pretty good runner. He's got loads of FKTs in England, uh, and I just set out. I, I couldn't come to America in 2020. I wanted to come to America and have a go at the AT for my second time, uh, and 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 that we had this big pandemic and everyone was locked away in their homes and they couldn't travel, so. Uh, I, I looked to the longest trail in Britain and I thought that would be great stepping stone towards the 80 in 2021. So I went, I went there and uh, yeah, I, I, put, I did it. I, I managed to set a new fastest known time on the Southwest coast path and it was tough, you know, uh, but it was a great learning experience uh, and I completely cherished every moment of it. Um, the good and the bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a great segue into the Appalachian Trail. So 2021, you actually tried to do it your first time. And 2019, actually. 2019. Okay, sorry, 2019. So then you, you come back in 2022. Yeah, 2021. And... So I've had two failed attempts. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah, so 2021, yeah. you came back. So 20. So then your this... most your most recent uh, attempt uh, just finished up. So when did you... When would this attempt actually take place as far as the, the... Yeah, I started this year on June the 1st from Springer, headed north, and I finished the trail in 44 days, four hours and 54 minutes. So wow. I'm the, now the second fastest on the Appalachian Trail. And the first is? 44 days, seven hours and 39 minutes. 41 days, seven hours and 39 minutes. Wow. <laughs> An extra three days. Damn. Two uh, two days and something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's let's talk about this because I and for anybody who lives underneath a rock and doesn't know the Appalachian Trail, it's the longest uh, footpath in the world um, as far as the mileage goes. It's I think it's twenty one hundred, like two thousand one hundred ninety or something like that miles in length uh spans over 14 states here in the u.s um and is just a gnarly trail the entire the entire way it starts in what springer georgia yeah it goes all the way up to i can't remember the town in maine it's uh cathol the mountain is called katahdin yeah there you go yep uh and that's in that's in maine so i mean it's it's pretty gnarly so what where was your thought process is as far as, okay, I'm first of all, like when you wanted to try and attempt it and then what did, where were those, where did those, what did those first two attempts teach you about this, this third time, the, the 2022 and how does the Southwest coast run end up factoring into what you learned about yourself on this as well? So I first, decided I wanted to go for the record when I was helping the current record holder. His name is Carol Sabay. And uh, in 2018, he set a new fastest known time. And I was, I played a part in that by muling for him over 15 days of his attempt. So one third of Carol's attempt, I was muling for him. Um, I was running up to say 35, 36 miles a day, uh, carrying uh my stuff and some of his and during that time i started to think to myself i could do this i could do this i would like to do this myself 
This is exciting. This is unlike any, uh, this is nothing like an ultra marathon. It's uh, next level times 10, 20, 30, 100. <laughs> um, so that's where the thought process of I could do this started. And then uh, the, the, the next part of your question was, what did I learn from my two failed attempts? So I learned so much. I learned, um, I learned that you need to take ownership for your failures in life. You know, mm -hmm. I learned that you don't want to be blaming other people because as soon as you, if, as soon as you blame someone else for a failure or in your life, you lose control to be able to have the ability to change that because you weren't the reason it happened. But if you take ownership and say, I'm the reason that I failed, then you can also be the person who has the power to change and say, I can change the reason I failed. So yeah, I learned to take ownership for my um, failures in life and not blame other people. And then the other part of your question was how did the Southwest path come into it? Well, okay. It's only, it's only 630 miles in comparison to yeah. 2,194. However, um, I was running like 61 miles a day on that trail with similar elevation to the Appalachian trail, which is Carol had about 11,000 feet of elevation gain per day with 53 miles. So to run 61 miles a day for 10 days, again, it's only a quarter of the distance, but it definitely gave me a lot of confidence. Also beating probably one of Britain's best trail runners records, Damien Hall, uh, gave me the confidence in myself that, I mean, I've heard interviews with him saying, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And every day I would break down and cry, you know? And so for me to be able to surpass him by a couple of hours and so, and, and go through it, gave me the confidence in myself that I would be able to have a chance at breaking the record on the 80, yeah. which brings me to this year. Yeah. So let's, let's start the process from, from the beginning stages. So you, how, when did you arrive in the States? You know, how, how far in advance did you arrive in the States uh, to start prepping for your, for your takeoff? Yeah. So, uh, I have, uh, two crew members and I'll go by trail names. Um, so you've got Iceman who lives in the U S and gun section who lives in the UK, uh, Iceman. I went and visited him in the U S around, I believe it was, uh, May this year. And me, Iceman, and Warren Doyle. Warren Doyle has finished the Appalachian Trail himself 18 times, more than anyone else in yeah. the world. Wow. Probably the most educated Appalachian Trail strategist and um, <laughs> folk, as far as I'm concerned, Appalachian Trail folk hero uh, that is living. And uh, so Iceman and Warren crewed me for oh i got a google calendar telling me that in 30 minutes i'm going to speak to you <laughs> <laughs> see there you go <laughs> i'll ignore that um and i went to america in may and we did one week on the 80 uh seven days at record pace so okay. that that was my train that was my uh in like i'd been training in the mountains in thailand i came to america in may we did a week on the trail and I pulled out, I don't know, 360 miles or whatever it was, you know, 53, 54 miles a day for a week. And that was, that, that was the, that was the uh, what in training week, you know, and then um, I went back to um, the Thailand, ran in the mountains, uh, kind of had to recover actually after that week, you know, yeah, cause sure. yeah, big week, uh, did this clever game of recovering, but bringing my training back up again and, uh, came out to America, I believe it was about two weeks before. So about mid originally, so sorry, it must've been March. I came over and it was May that I came back mid May. Um, oh. so about two weeks before the, the attempt itself in June 1st. So when it comes to starting and finishing, I mean, is there, I mean, what's the difference in starting up North in Maine and finishing South in Georgia versus, you know, versus the way you've done, you've done it. Like, yeah. is it, does it from the fastest known time aspect of it and the way uh, it's the, the record stands now, did you want to do it the same exact, obviously you wanted to do it the same exact way from South to North. Like, is there, is there a separation in, in how you start? 
I mean, on the fastest known times website, you've got northbound record, southbound record, yeah, northbound supported, northbound unsupported, um, and then you've got uh, male and female, obviously. Uh, but, but Carol's record was northbound supported, and and that's the record I kind of helped set, and that's the record I wanted to break. So, so. Uh, and I just liked the idea of finishing at Katahdin. So Springer, where you start, it's uh, below tree line. You know, you're surrounded by trees. There's no view. Whereas Katahdin, it's way above tree line. You're you're standing. Look, you're standing on top of the world. So, and and most of the through hikers go north. So I just wanted to kind of go north, and for the for the reason of one, that's the way the record was set, and two. I, I really did want to finish at Katahdin and work towards what are considered some of the most beautiful parts of the Appalachian Trail, which is pretty much Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Um, but they're also the toughest parts of the trail. So I don't know what it's like to head south, but what I do know is that if you do go south, start in the north and head south, you're getting the most difficult parts out the way and done with first. In fact, Scott Jurek, uh, I don't know if you know this, went for a a, a, a record he had the record in 2015 he yeah, said it I and that. then he went south last year but uh, and uh but end, ended up injuring his quad so that's how tough it is you know like um even you know the the, the toughest athletes in the world can get injured yeah it's tough terrain up north so you finish with the tough terrain if you head north or you start with the tough terrain if you head south yeah so myself personally i've only probably been on five to 10 miles of the Appalachian trail. So and I know that there's a, probably a ton of other listeners here who have never seen it, been on it, whatever. So could you kind of give kind of a brief description of what you're seeing as a, as a through hiker, as a runner on the trail, as far as terrains go. And like you said, like you, your, your toughest part is up in the New Hampshire main area. Like what, what other uh, aspects do you see like elevation gains on average would you happen to hit um, during this time frame yeah so up north uh you know you can be doing 17 16 17,000 feet in one day oh, wow uh, if you're in new hampshire like over like 45 miles or something like that i think mm-hmm. uh i mean it's pretty the, the, and then the difference is in Maine, for example, uh, the the routes. There's so many routes. I mean, you're it's called the Green Tunnel, and you're running in between, you know, trees. But the the trees in Maine, the roots kind of create the trail. So okay. the 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 tree from the right, its roots are coming across. The tree from the left, the roots <laughs> are coming across. And and I mean, it's hard to even hike it, you know, let alone run. So Maine for me was the toughest section. Then you've got uh, New Pennsylvania, which is known as Rock Sylvania, okay. uh, is it's just so rocky, and and it's something to do with the glaciers years ago breaking and and leaving all these super sharp rocks which destroy your shoes destroy your feet destroy your mind you know i really believe that i left part of my my soul is still in (laughs) part of my hoka soul is in um yeah in uh, pennsylvania and then i mean georgia you know uh it's humid the weather's like so sticky and and then you've got Vermont, which they call the mud, you know, because it's the it, there's so much mud. You've got these sections of one mile just mud pits, you know. You've got to hike through. It's, it, I mean, I got to say, anyone listening out there, you know, you don't have to go for a record. Just get out to the Appalachian Trail, and if you ever have the chance in your life to take six months, I really believe it's the ultimate modern day pilgrimage to just. Whether you go north or south, there's all this terminology. They call it the trail family or the tramley. And, you know, you've got groups of uh, two people or groups of 10 people hiking together and they're friends for life. And I mean, it's just a, it's, it's such an amazing part of the world and, and, and full of amazing people there. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, um, is there any section where you're, doing like service roads or is this pretty much 
as you're explaining, is it like single track with some overgrowth and some rocks and everything else? Is that where you see the entire stretch? There are just, a couple of towns you run through. Yeah. Duncan, oh. I believe, is one, you know. Okay. Uh so you've got like a mile or two through Duncan and and it's cool because I mean that's nothing in two thousand plus miles. So I think it's kind of welcomed if you're walking on a bit of concrete. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. You know, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. Uh, and then obviously going over the bridges. Is it the Hudson? I think you go over. I believe I, I forget in New York, or I'm getting it mixed up maybe. But yeah, then there's some bridges that you go over rivers, and uh, and New York has got this cool area where you're going on some concrete um section and you can see the skyline and you go past the zoo uh, yeah but not extended periods you're mostly on yeah. trail yeah yeah so you you go into this with two crew members who did yeah. they stay with you the entire oh, time or yeah from start to finish yeah okay and then how does it work from uh overnight stays like are you having a camp out or are you jumping out into areas where you're able to go and stay somewhere like what what's the situation with that i think i stayed in maybe uh i think it was i can't i can't remember if it was one or two i mean i know for sure i stayed in new york in a motel one night but uh or and, and maybe there was another night uh, i stayed in a motel so maybe two nights i think but actually i had a roof tent on the toyota tacoma um an eye camper and it's this great fold you fold it open this it, it i mean you pull out the ladder you you know you tense up and so it was great for the crew to be able to set my sleeping system up in less than five ten minutes yeah uh, and i slept in the roof tent every night and i gotta say it's like so comfortable uh it's almost a double bed the, the you know the mattress is sufficient uh so and, and we pretty much just slept as close to on the trail as possible because we wanted a we we didn't want to waste time driving to a campsite or so mm-hmm. we just pretty much stayed on trail most of the time. I mean, I would finish my day and the roof tent would be set up. There'd be a hot meal waiting for me. I'd sit down. We had a routine. I'd eat my food. My feet would get cleaned. I'd crawl into the roof tent, go to sleep, wake up at three thirty, and do it all again. Yeah. What's the, what's so, so you're, you're out there in March, uh, doing seven days of training. So how does that factor into like, okay, you've, you've seen seven days of the Appalachian trail already. How does that factor into now? Where's your strategy at? How many, how many miles or how many hours in a day are you going? Or is it just kind of vary depending on the section? Yeah. So I think that's the reason I didn't get the record this year. Because uh, my strategy was go in and build miles on Carol each day. You know, okay. take a handful of miles, whether it be like half a mile or two miles or three miles. And actually, I think where where I made a mistake was is that I became so attached to sleeping in the roof tent. You know, um, that for example, if if I could have carried on an extra two miles because I had the daylight um, and and the roof tent was already there, I just found it a lot more comforting to sleep in the roof tent. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I pushed further than I should have to get to the roof tent. And other times I didn't go as far as I should have because I wanted to stay at the roof tent. So, and I did sleep on the trail a few times, but I wasn't as good as sleeping on the trail as I should have been, because then that would have allowed me to say, um, I think, I think the great Karl Maltzer said to me, you know, you want to sleep on the trail most of the time. And what you just want to do is you want to run hike for 16 hours a day, have a, uh, an hour transition in the half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening transition and have seven hours sleep a night. So because my, daily time on the trail was actually more measured by miles instead of time. I believe that's where I came unstuck. And some nights I had nine hours sleep. Other nights I had three and a half hours sleep instead of just having like a regular five or six hours sleep every night. So I became a little bit sleep deprived. Um, So I think I, I think I failed with not really approaching it with probably the best strategy 
I think that's where I came unstuck this year. Talking to other people about sleep deprivation and sleep strategies, it's always, that's one thing I think is always kind of hard to factor in. Like, couldn't you agree that you you go in with the, with the strategy of, okay, I need to get this many hours of sleep per night. I need to get to this point to sleep. Then all of a sudden, like there's days that you'll feel really good. And like you said, you kind of want to push the limit a little bit more to get a couple of miles on, on car on uh, Carol, but it, it kind of just goes thrown out the window in the, in the first day or two, because you're, you're already offset because of some of the stuff you've done. It's so hard to, to factor that in as much as you really want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely tough. It, I mean, if it was easy, you know, uh, <laughs> more people would do it for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think people are still experimenting and trying to find out what works, so, but I, I definitely know for sure, you know, I was really interested in listening to your previous one of your previous podcasts with Michael McKnight and Ben Light, both mm-hmm. on the Arizona trail. And um, I, I know um, I, I've followed Michael for a while and I've seen his approach to the Colorado trail, which was, I think it was eight hours sleep or something Yeah, you know, over the 500 miles. And having done a long trail myself, I, I just know that I think we need sleep as humans to survive. So and I know string beans approach is also, you know, like just sleep on the trail on, on some of the shorter stuff he did. I, I believe he's got the record for the Arizona trail. I he think does, there's yeah. a limit where, you know, I think even Courtney DeWalter went for the um, Colorado trail and just tried to d- do it, you know, do a big one and, and not, but I, I really think when you're doing a 2000 mile trail, I mean, not just that, the crew as well. I mean, if you're randomly sleeping here and there, that means that the crew have to do the same thing. So having a a certain amount of sleep each night is, I think it's the only way to to go ahead and, and, and do it. But I haven't got it right because I haven't set the record yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so there's, I mean, you're obviously out in the middle of nowhere for the most part. Like any, was there any wildlife experiences that were, it kind of got you to that point? You're like, uh, maybe we should <laughs> kind of slow it down or kind of mosey off, off trail just a little bit. Cause typically you could see some mountain lion or some bear out there. Did you have any of those experiences at all? Yeah, one day I saw, uh, I think it was like one, two, three, four, five, six bears in in an area in about two hours. It was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Actually, the first one was with a cub. The second one was with two cubs. And the last one was just by itself. So uh, six, uh, six bears, yeah. And that was amazing, you know, but I wasn't scared at any point. Um, I think when you're out there and you're exposed so much, to just being alone in the woods running actually it's nice to see the wildlife i think yeah. what actually yeah there was one time i got into new jersey and uh i i, I was actually I, I, from a peripheral vision to my left i just saw a, a large mass and i turned and looked and it was a bear like a big i don't know how big they get 400 pounds maybe 600 yeah. It was a big bear. And the scary thing about it was, was all the other bears, whenever I saw a cub, it ran up a tree. The parent of the bear usually hung around. So I knew it was time to go. But this one bear didn't look at me, didn't turn its head. And it was just walking slowly. And I thought that's like really scary. You know, I mean, there's something up with that bear because most of them run away. So I, I carried on and I filmed it a little bit, but then I thought, I think I better get out of here. So... (laughs) Yeah, I think that was the scariest time just because the bear, it, there was just something eerie about that bear. It just didn't, it wasn't phased by me. And that was kind of scary, you know? Uh, yeah. So to that degree, like in any of your gear that you're carrying, are you carrying anything that could help you out? I, I was talking to some friends of mine who did the Mighty Gallatin and part of their training with the bears was you, you got to have a, eight inch knife on you and with bear spray or whatever, did you, did you feel like you had to carry or maybe next time you should have carried or you should carry some of that stuff? No, I mean, I never, I never had such, I I know Liz Anjos uh, was going for the, she's a female runner and I think she didn't achieve what she wanted to do, but anyway, she finished the trail in a pretty decent time. And um, her story was like, she, she got, bluff charge bluff i think they call it a bluff charge 
you know, when they bluff, they, they, Oh yeah. 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 They, they charge you a little bit or pound their feet on the floor. And that happened mm-hmm. with her, I think once or twice, but I mean, maybe if that happens to me, I'd be saying to the guys, get me some cliff bars and get me some bear spray. <laughs> the cliff bars are for me and the best brace for the bear, but no, I, never, I never felt like at risk. You know, I really didn't feel at, at risk. Yeah. Did you yeah. notice like, I, because I mean, that trail has hikers on it left and right the entire time. Yeah. Like what was, what was some of the experiences you had with some of the through hikers that you saw during the day? Did you have a chance to chat with a lot of people while you were out there? And it was, it was awesome. I mean, so my trail name is captain, uh, uh, captain Morgan. My surname is Morgan. And, um, the, the guy who gave me that name, his, his name is Scott Grierson. Also his trail name is maniac. He raced against David Horton in 1991. Um, as a hiker, David Horton ran it and got the fastest known time on the Appalachian trail. Anyway, I'm friends with, um scott and scott put a post out on facebook that i was going to go for the record and he said he said oh this is captain morgan so and he posted that in the 2022 appalachian trial through hikers page so every single through hiker i went past who saw me running with my hoka clothes on and stuff were like are you captain you know <laughs> uh, some of the some of the through hikers it's amazing man like one day I remember there was this couple I'd just come through the halfway, I think it's Parisburg or, or anyway, the halfway point where they do the, the, the ice cream challenge where you have to eat a gallon of ice cream and, uh, or gallon challenge or something. And there was, there was these two through hikers and, and, uh, they said, do you mind if we jog with you for a bit and said, sure. Yeah. This guy and this girl. So they jogged a bit and we were talking and, and after a while I said, okay, cool. See you later. And I, and I carried on. Then there's this quite big climb and I jogged up all the climb. I mean, it's pretty tough. Cause yeah, I mean, you know, like it, it some of the stuff you hike, you should be jogging, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and only really should you hike the steeper gradient stuff. So I was being honest with myself and I thought this is runnable. Let's run it. And I got to the top, I maybe 15, 20 minutes later, and I stopped because I was tying my shoelace or something. And within about 60 seconds, one of those through hikers had followed me all the way up jogging and said, do you mind if I run with you? And I was so impressed that this guy with his pack <laughs> ran with me. Anyway, he ended up running with me and he shared me this. Um, he made some uh, venison uh, sausage because um, he was a hunter and he shared the sausage with me and he ran with me for about an hour and a half or I don't know, a couple of hours and with his park and stuff. So I had great interactions with the through hikers. Really really felt like they embraced me as um, one of their own as well. Well, it's got to, I mean, just being able to take your mind off of some of it too, like to hear, you know, some, whether, whether they're talking to you a lot or not, it's just, it must be nice to have the other, another body there to like kind of push you a little bit. Or to, you know, if there is some conversation, it kind of takes your mind off of, you know, some of the, either the mileage you're, you've done or the mileage that's yet to come. And and it's, that's cool. I, I was wondering how you would be received up there and, and everything else, but that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Positive. All positive. Um, so for anybody who's looking to attempt this, right, what would be what would be, you know, one or two, or maybe even your top three, uh, you know, pointers that you could give, give to somebody and what they should plan for. Right. Okay. So number one, um, only seek, only seek advice of people who have achieved what you want to achieve in life. So don't go to someone for advice who hasn't already achieved what you want to achieve because they will be speaking from experience and they know. So like I got advice off Carl Meltzer. I, I got advice off um, David Horton. I got advice off Andrew Thompson, all the past record holders I could contact, make contact with, I had in-depth conversations with. So first of all, gain your 
advice from people who have achieved what you want to achieve. And that can be anything in life. Number two, make sure, I mean, if you're going to go for a long trail, make sure, and it's a supported attempt, make sure you've got good support. Mm. All the people who set the records, Scott Jurek was supported by Jen, Jen, his wife. Carmels was supported by his best friend, Bells, and his dad. Um, Jen Far Davis was supported by her husband. Carol Sabay was supported by his brother-in-law and his wife. Uh, who else? Um, people were supported by loved ones. You know, if your crew don't love you, there better be next level <laughs> liking <laughs> you <laughs> you know so make sure um you've got a good crew and then number three just give it a go like d don't be put off by your fears and just go and try it because you'll never know unless i i mean there's all these great quotes by people like michael jordan you know like he missed I don't know, a thousand shots in his basketball career. And that's why he was so successful. He lost countless, get countless games, you know, um, I, I forget, is it the Harry Potter author or something was refused or, or the Lord of the Rings author was refused 17 times, um, by publishing agencies before they got a deal, you know, and, and the only reason they succeeded is because they were prep prepared to fail. So don't be afraid to fail in life because a failure is a stepping stone towards success. So they're my three tips. <laughs> nice, man. Uh, some dropping some knowledge up in there. I love it. Uh, the big question is, is what's next for you? What do you, what do you got on the docket? <laughs> yeah. Appalachian trail 2023. Yeah. So, going, yeah. going, going for it again, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently it. the second fastest in the world. Um, this year, I learned more than anyone else can learn. There's probably the only person who knows anything more than me about the 80 is the record holder. So, um, yeah, being the second fastest is cool, but it kind of irks me a little bit. I want to get that <laughs> record. So, uh, you know, um, so yeah, everything, it, as long as I'm in good health, as long as I can get the funding and as long as my crew are there, I'll be back in the USA, um, summer next year. And, uh, I'll be going for my fourth attempt on the Appalachian trail cause I don't give up. Nice. Well, Christian, I, I appreciate you sharing your story and, and talking about the AT and, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And, and when you do, so I'm going to throw some positive vibes out at you. When you do get the record, I'd love for you to come back on and, and chat about the differences between your second place and that and your first place, uh, completion. So <laughs> listen, Jeff, it's a deal, man. I'll definitely <laughs> honor that. I'll be back on the show and Hey, I tell you a cool thing. I mean, I never asked Mike yet, but I was thinking how cool it'd be to do a, uh, what did he call it on the Arizona trailer head to head? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I know Mike <laughs> wants to go for the AT record, but now I heard that he wants to do the Arizona trail next year, but how cool would it be to do a head to head with Mike, you know, like, uh, <laughs> Just putting it out there, Mike. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Put it out to the universe and see what happens. <laughs> All right. So, Thanks, right, Jeff. Awesome time. It's, it's a pleasure being on your show. Thank you. The Trail Life Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Stoner. Music is provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you stream your favorite podcast episodes. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you out on the trails real soon.